Welcome to the 100th episode of PRN, Pause, Renew, Next. I'm Jenny Detweiler, and friends, I am so happy to be with you today to share the story of an amazing woman. When I thought about how I wanted to celebrate my 100th episode, I decided I wanted it to be a biography episode. I love learning from women of faith who've walked before us and have finished the race well. They have so much to teach us. It also felt like it would bring the podcast full circle because my first full-length episode was a biography episode of the great missionary Gladys Aylward. Since then, I've put out about two biography episodes a year, and they are some of the listener favorites. So today, we're going to be diving into the life of another missionary woman, and wow, was she fascinating to learn about. Her name is Ida Scudder. Ida spent most of her life in India. I guess this is the year of India, because my biography episode in the fall was also about a woman of India, Pandita Ramabai. Both of these women did so much to further the good of Indian women and children, though they did it in different ways. So without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into her story together. Ida Scudder was born on December 9, 1870, in India. She was born into a family of medical missionaries. Her grandfather was the first medical missionary ever sent from the United States. Her grandfather and grandmother moved to India and raised 10 children, eight sons and two daughters, many of whom continued to serve in India as adults. Her father, John Scudder, was one of these. He was a trained doctor and served as both a medical missionary and also helped to lead a school in India. Ida's parents had six children, but she was the only girl. Can you imagine having five brothers? No wonder she was tough. At one point during Ida's childhood, India faced a famine and cholera outbreak where more than 3 million people died. Her parents stopped schooling their children so they could focus all of their resources on helping. They passed out food and made it spread to as many people as they could. Ida helped along with her brothers. The whole family pitched in. At the age of seven and a half, Ida took her first trip to the United States. Her father's health had declined, and they were going back home to allow him to recuperate. Once they got there, Ida decided that she absolutely loved the United States. She loved how clean it was and how everybody had plenty of food. She purposed in her heart that she would never go back to India. But never say never. When Ida was 12 years old, her father decided that he was ready to return to India. He went by himself for the first year to see if he was truly well and healthy enough to continue missionary work. A year later, her mother moved back to India and joined her father. Ida was sent to Chicago to live with her Uncle Henry and Aunt Fanny. True to family tradition, Uncle Henry had also been a missionary in India, but 20 years ago he had to give up the work due to health problems. As he watched Ida's parents return to the field, though, He was inspired to want to begin mission work again himself. So in 1886, he and his wife prepared to move to Japan to also be missionaries. As they were preparing to leave, though, they faced a dilemma. Now who would take care of Ida? The answer came one night when a famous preacher, Dwight L. Moody, came to dinner. He talked with Ida's aunt and uncle about a school he had founded for girls in Massachusetts called Northfield. So in the fall of 1886, Ida moved to the boarding school there. She would stay at Northfield for many years. She made a lot of friends and got into a bit of good-natured trouble. Her parents believed that after she graduated, she would join them in India. 
but Ida really hoped that would not be the case. Her resolve dissolved, though, when she received a telegram letting her know that her mother was sick and she needed to come immediately. Although she didn't want to go back, she promised herself it would only be for one year. She told her friends adamantly, I will never be a missionary in India. So on July 30th, 1890, at the age of 19, Ida boarded a ship heading for India. She arrived two months later in September. At this point, it had been eight whole years since she had seen her father and seven since she'd seen her mother. And when she saw her dad, she didn't even recognize him at first. He looked like an old man. Although her mother was ill, Ida was so happy to be reunited with her. They had so much to catch up on. Her father ran a boarding school for boys, and her brother was getting ready to take over for him. Her mom's role was to order supplies, help with organizing, make a food menu, and various other practical tasks. But since she was ill, Ida did those tasks for her. After a while, thankfully, her mother recovered, so Ida instead began to follow her father around on his medical routes. Both Ida's father and uncle would go out on the road, so to speak, doing medical operations, sometimes laying out a white sheet right out in public, fixing broken limbs, removing growths, or pulling teeth. Onlookers often gathered around. However, all of their patients were men. Women of India were not allowed to be seen or treated by unrelated men, even by doctors. Ida's cousin Dixie became a close friend, and the two of them would go around and visit the women of the town. Roughly 10% of the area was Muslim, and the other 90% were Hindu. Women of both religions were generally encouraged to stay indoors and rarely left their homes. They were so happy to receive visitors and eagerly welcomed Dixie and Ida. Dixie talked a lot and would tell the women Bible stories. One day, Ida asked Dixie what she dreamed of, what were the things that she looked forward to doing in life. And Dixie confided in Ida that her greatest dream was to one day serve the women and children of India. Ida could not believe it. She just could not understand. As pretty and smart as Dixie was, why would she want to stay in India when she could go back to the United States? Around this time, Ida received a letter from her school friend, Annie, who was asking her about missionary life. Ida was just about to write her back and tell her that unlike Annie, she was not cut out for missionary life when she was interrupted. She then experienced a night that would change her life forever. As she was writing her letter, a Hindu Brahmin knocked on the door. He explained that his 14-year-old wife was in labor and that she was not doing well. He begged Ida to come help. Ida tried to tell him that she was not trained, but that her father could help, but he would not hear of it. Only a woman can see my wife. A man is not allowed, he stated. Ida became upset and frustrated, trying to explain to him that she could not help, but if only he would allow her father to deliver the baby. The Brahmin would not hear of it, and sadly and resolutely, he left. Ida was so upset. She talked with her dad about it, and he told her that in all of his years serving in India and seeing all of the great suffering firsthand, he had learned that if there's nothing you can do to remedy a bad situation, the best thing you can do is to forget about it. Otherwise, you will not be able to keep going in this work. Ida felt sad and burdened. She went back to writing her letter and tried to do what her father had advised. But then there was another knock. Now a Muslim man was at the door, and he explained that his wife was in labor. The labor was hard, and she needed help immediately. Again, Ida went to go get her father, 
but the man would not hear of it. His wife was not allowed to be treated by a man outside of his family. He refused, telling her that if she could not help, then it was Allah's will that his wife would die. He, too, turned around and left. Ida was increasingly sad and upset. She continued to write to her friend Annie, telling her all about the situation. Then, unbelievably, a third knock sounded at the door. Ida opened the door to find the father of one of her schoolgirls, Kumla, at the door. Oh no, she thought. I hope that Kumla is okay. Yes, yes, Kumla is fine, the man said. But my wife is in labor and she needs help. Will you please come to my house, he asked. The baby is not arriving the way it should, and I'm afraid she's going to die. Again, Ida repeated that she could not help. She didn't know how, but that her father was capable and he could help him. But just like the first two men, he too refused her father's help and left. This time, Ida did not go back to writing her letter. She turned off all the lights so no one else would come to the door. She laid awake all night and did not sleep. When the sun came up, she rushed to the door. She could hear the sound of beating tom-toms, the sound that announced that someone in the village had died. Ida asked someone to go find out who had died. The answer came back to her. All three women had passed away in the night. There and then, her heart changed. She determined in her heart and prayed, God, if you want me to, I will spend the rest of my life in India helping these women. And thus began an incredible career and life story. Now you'll soon see that when Ida sees a need, she jumps right in. So, of course, immediately, she wanted to go to the U.S. and begin her medical education. But she couldn't yet leave her mother. So instead, she worked to learn the language. In 1892, her uncle Jared, his wife, and their daughter Dixie went back to the U.S. for a two-year furlough. So Ida and her parents took over running their medical mission while they were gone, in the city of Valor. Valor had about 40,000 people and was the center of the British colonial government for their district. This meant that there were many English speakers around. Ida took over for her cousin Dixie, helping to run two schools for 200 Hindu girls. She loved her job there. Two years went by quickly, and soon it was her family's turn for a furlough. Ida, her parents, and her brother Henry returned to the United States in 1894. Ida planned to begin medical school, and her brother Henry wanted to become an ordained minister. Ida had planned to go back to India for one year to help her mom, but it ended up being there for four. She had great aspirations for medical school, but there were practical problems she had to work through. The first one being, how was she going to afford it? Medical school would be $150 a year, and at the time, she only had 10. The Women's Auxiliary Board for the Reformed Church reviewed Ida's case, debating whether it was appropriate to send a female doctor to India. Not only was it unheard of in India, but in the United States, Elizabeth Blackwell had become the first female doctor only 50 years prior. A lot of people did not feel comfortable still with women doing a quote-unquote man's job. The board debated and debated, but finally a young woman on the board stood up and gave her support, saying that if Ida felt God was calling her to be a doctor in India, then she wanted to support her, and she gave $10 on the spot. Other women agreed, and soon she was fully sponsored for medical school through the mission. Ida was accepted into the Women's Medical College in Philadelphia. The work was very difficult for Ida, but she persisted. It was a four-year course, and partway through her schooling, her parents returned from their furlough to India. 
While she was in medical school, it was announced that Cornell, a prestigious school in New York, had received a $1.5 million endorsement on the condition that they begin accepting women applicants into their program. Ida immediately applied. And don't you know, of course she was accepted, making her one of the first females to graduate from the program at Cornell. She was one of only a few other women, and at first, when they entered a room, the men would stomp their feet and whistle. While she was at Cornell, Ida kept up a letter correspondence with her parents. Her father let her know that cholera had become a tremendous epidemic in India. There was a new inoculation procedure for cholera, and Ida's father believed in the procedure, but the Indian people he was trying to treat were scared of it. Ida's father gave himself the inoculation first to prove that it was safe. He was the first person in South India to be inoculated against cholera. He educated the local Christian people about it, and they also got the vaccine. As another cholera wave swept through, the Christians remained healthy. Seeing this, the people of the city lost their fear and began to get the inoculation themselves. Ida's friend Annie had also decided to go back to India with Ida when she left. Ida passed her exams and prepared to head back to India. Ida dreamed of beginning a hospital for women in India. In order to make the hospital for women that she dreamed of, she would need a lot of money, $8,000, and she hoped to raise it before she left the U.S. She talked to many people about her dream, and one day, a donor came out of the woodwork, so to speak. Mr. Shell, the brother-in-law of one of the women she had visited to talk about her dream, offered her $10,000 for her project. He also took her shopping to buy all of the medical equipment she would need for the hospital. Mr. Shell did this in honor of his wife, Mary, who had passed away, and Annie later named the hospital in her honor. So in 1899, Ida, Annie, and all of their medical equipment set sail for India. Ida celebrated her 29th birthday on the ship. On January 1st, 1900, Ida arrived in India. Now that's a date that's easy to remember, huh? January 1st, 1900, the first day of a new century. She could not wait to get started with her work. The life expectancy in America at that time was 54 years, and for Indians, it was only 26 years. In the U.S., there was one doctor for every 500 people, but in India, there was one doctor for every 9,500 people. There was so much work to be done, but no one would come to Ida for medical care. For three weeks, no one approached her for help, not men or women either. It was discouraging. One day, a boy came asking her to help an old woman at his house who was very sick. When she arrived, Ida was upset to realize that the woman was already so close to death that there was nothing medically to be done for her. So instead, she stayed with her and gave her dignity and company, wiping her forehead and making her comfortable. The old woman was grateful and kissed her feet. The people of the city saw how she treated this woman, and instead of being deterred that Ida hadn't saved her, they respected her. She began to be approached for medical treatment. Soon after this, Ida's dad began to feel unwell. At first, they thought it might be leftover effects of the inoculation, but he continued to struggle. Finally, they realized that he had grown huge knots in each armpit and found out that he was in the progressive stages of cancer. They prepared to operate, but upon operation, realized that there was not much they could do. Her father passed away just a few hours later. Ida was grieving and discouraged. She had practically just arrived back in India and had hoped to help her father and continue to learn from him, but now he was gone. 
But as you'll see, Ida does not allow anything to set her back from her goals. She worked towards opening the hospital she dreamed of, and in 1902, Mary Tabor Shell Hospital for Women opened its doors. Another famine hit that same year, and it was a difficult first year for the hospital. Ida worked tirelessly. She was the only doctor, and in one year she treated 12,000 patients. She did 56 major surgeries and 428 minor operations. After a while, the famine ended, but on the heels of that came a wave of bubonic plague. Up to 20 patients a day died. Again, people were afraid of the vaccine. Remember, at this time, India was occupied by Great Britain, and there was a rumor that the British were trying to murder the Indian people using the vaccine. This made people not trust Ida or the hospital, and many quit coming for medical treatment. After the bubonic plague epidemic passed, the people began coming back to the hospital. Ida did a lot single-handedly, but she also had the help of a few really trusted and capable women, like Annie and her mother. Sometimes, Ida would get gut feelings about patients. This happened to her one day in September of 1903. She kept getting a bad feeling about a baby girl that she had delivered a couple of weeks ago. When she went to go check on her, she found the infant's mother and grandmother were smothering her with a pillow. Ida stopped them and asked them what were they doing? The grandmother replied that the girl had been born on an unholy day, and therefore they believed that Allah wanted her to die. Ida intervened, so they told Ida if she felt that way, then she could just have the baby. And just like that, Ida had a baby girl to care for. She named her Mary after the hospital. Some local women took turns nursing her. Mary was cared for by Ida, her mother, and her friend Annie, and she grew and thrived. Soon three more babies were given to her, and she soon realized that they were going to need an orphanage to supply the need. So Ida wrote to the mission board and got the process started. Ida never stopped dreaming. She also began to dream of opening a nursing school for Indian women, and in 1907, she went back to the U.S. to raise support. In 1908, she returned to India with Delia, a registered nurse Ida met in the States, who would be the first instructor of the school. They got the school off the ground, and Ida handed the major operations over to Delia so that she could return her focus to her medical work and the hospital. Early on, Ida had realized that although her hospital was helpful, not everyone could come to the hospital. So much like her father, she began traveling outside the city on circuits to treat patients. She would travel by cart, and it was bumpy and slow going. Words of her travels spread, and soon people were waiting for her along the road of the route. Muslims were waiting on one side of the road, and high caste Hindu people were on the other. Whenever she treated them in these roadside clinics, she would open her time in prayer. Because the cart she used for travel was so bumpy and slow, Ida prayed that God would give her a more efficient ride. And God answered her prayer. A supporter wrote her a letter telling her that they were sending her an automobile. Remember, this was 1909, so it would have been one of the very earliest of cars. No cars had ever been seen in Valor. When it came and Ida began to use it, she was so thankful for how much farther and faster she could go on her medical route. But the people were scared. It was called the animalless carriage, and people would yell, The devil is coming! when they heard it coming up the road. After a while, they did get used to it and were thankful to see Ida coming. If you haven't gathered by now, Ida was always busy, working on needed projects. They expanded the hospital, she took on more staff, 
They took in more children for the orphanage, and she helped to start a tuberculosis sanitarium. Still, Ida wasn't satisfied. She began to dream again, this time of starting a medical college for women in India. Now this would be no easy task to undertake, both financially and socially. But Ida knew that her hospital could not treat all the women of India. So if she could train Indian women to be doctors, then more of the needs of the area would be met. As anticipated, she received a lot of pushback, but she persisted. She needed to get staff, money, and approval. So she sailed back to the U.S. again to raise funds. Ida found out that in order to meet the government standards, the medical school would cost a million dollars. But in her time in the U.S., she'd only managed to raise 8000 She trusted that God would provide. When she met with a government official, they said that she could start the school if she could find six applicants. The official didn't believe she could even get that many. But the school had 69 applicants. While she was in the U.S. raising money, her friend Gertrude decided that she wanted to come back with Ida to serve in India for the rest of her life. Gertrude was great at administration and was really helpful to Ida. When they got back, it was a tough road to begin their medical school. They just didn't have the funds or the supplies that other medical schools had. So Ida got really creative. For instance, she wired together a skeleton and decorated it with different colored ribbons for veins and arteries. She used other materials for the muscle groups. She would not be deterred. Out of the 69 women who applied, 17 were accepted into the program. Three dropped out in the first year, but the rest made it all the way through. Classes were held from 8 to 10 in the morning, and then her students would follow Ida on her rounds in the hospital. In 1919, after their first year of medical school, her students had to take their examination to continue. They were up against men who had gone to esteemed medical schools, and Ida was really fearful about their results. Had she trained them well enough? She found out that only 20% of the men could pass on their first try. However, when she got the results, every one of her students had passed the test. The following year, the school expanded to take in 25 new students, and the first class graduated in 1922. It was time for another furlough, so Ida headed back to the U.S. again. She took her mother, who was now 80, with her to visit family and rest. But Ida, you can tell by now, doesn't rest a lot. She fundraised for expansions for the school and the hospital. While in the U.S., she also met a doctor named Carol Jameson, who agreed to come back with her to India. When she got there, Carol was surprised by the conditions she found in India. Ida taught Carol that in order to treat the Indian people medically, they first needed to overcome ignorance with knowledge. There was a lot of superstition, quackery, and fake healers, and often these people were hurt rather than helped. There were also traditions that went back hundreds and hundreds of years that sometimes got in the way of new medical knowledge. The medical knowledge that Ida brought was not always openly welcome, but Ida told Carol to keep her eye out for Indian practices that did have medical value so that they could add them to their regimens. There's a story right here that I could tell about how they educated the Indian people, and it involves the parasite guinea worms, and it's super disgusting, so I'm going to leave that out of the story. But if you want to read more, I will give you some resources at the end of the podcast so you can go check that out. One time, a woman came to the hospital having malarial seizures. After she was better, she apologized for humiliating herself and writhing all around. 
She asked Ida, Why did you not lose your patience with me when I was out of my mind? Don't you know, a Hindu woman interrupted, that's what their God is like, long-suffering and slow to anger. Ida's friend Annie, the one she wrote to long ago who had accompanied her to India, became sick with cholera. She had lived with Ida in India for 24 years. Ida tried everything to save her, even giving her saline solution and sitting with her round the clock. But she passed away. Her last words were, finish the building. In her grief, Ida realized that she really needed a rest. She was 53 years old now. She found a property that she loved in the hills and bought eight acres there. She named her property Hilltop and decided to build a house there so she could have a place to retreat to. Before she could finish the house, though, her mother, Sophia Scudder, died. She was in her 80s, and the people of India had really respected her. Many, many people came out to honor and respect her. In 1927, the medical school had a very famous visitor, Mahatma Gandhi, who accepted an invitation to come speak at the medical school. He was famous for preaching nonviolent opposition to the British government's occupation of India. He wanted to see the Indian people be self-sufficient. What he told the students when he spoke was that they should serve with a simple heart and resist pride when they got recognition in their medical work. The new medical school hospital opened and 2,000 people showed up to celebrate. A thousand of these people were women. Ida was so excited to see how much had changed. When she arrived in India, women were not even allowed to leave their houses. But now, in Valor, here they were on the street, publicly celebrating. Now, she had worked really, 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 really tirelessly hard, and she decided she needed a vacation. She told her friend Gertrude that she wanted to do something relaxing. She didn't really like Gertrude's ideas. So instead, she planned a three-month hike through the Himalayas. Three months. Three months of hiking through the Himalayas. And afterwards, she said it was her most relaxing vacation ever. I think Gertrude disagreed. After this, she toured Europe and visited the U.S. Then she returned to her work in India. In 1931, Ida's niece and namesake, Ida Bell Scudder, arrived in India. She had also become a doctor, and she wanted to work with her aunt. Ida was thrilled to have her by her side. As the Great Depression hit in the United States, it directly affected the work in Valor. They received less donations and had to cut costs. Then they received terrible news. The government would be closing all medical schools not affiliated with the University of Madras. Ida spoke with an official who toured the school and told her that if she wanted to remain open, she would need to double their number of hospital beds and increase staff dramatically. But how would they accomplish this when their funds were down due to a depression? One of Ida's first-year medical students had a dream and came to tell Ida about it. She didn't know what it meant or why she felt like she needed to share it, but she did. Her name was Anama. She said in her dream she was in a beautiful garden filled with beautiful flowers. In the middle of the garden was a well, and all around the well were water jugs of various sizes. I needed to water the flowers, she said, so I picked a large jar, but it was too heavy, so I set it back down. I filled a smaller jar instead. I noticed that many of the flowers were dying, so I began to water them. Finally, I came to one of the most beautiful flowers. 
but not a drop in my jar was left to water it. I sat down and cried and wished that I had chosen the larger jar after all. Ida thanked her for sharing her dream, but also she didn't know what it meant. But she could not stop thinking about it. That evening, she sat down and wrote in her journal that she needed to count the cost of her endeavor. Money was not the most important thing. She wrote, What you are building is not a medical school. It is the kingdom of God. Don't try to be too small. She determined to keep the school open. God had given her a large garden to water, and she would do whatever it took to keep it watered. An Englishman named Dr. Frederick Hume came to visit. He was looking into building a men's medical college. He asked Ida if she would want to join forces and build a co-educational college, including both men and women. Her friend Lucy, who had always been one of her biggest financial fundraisers and backers, disagreed wholeheartedly. She wanted it to be women only. But as Ida prayed, she felt that it was the right move. The future of the college was at stake, and she felt the future would be to see women and men working side by side and combining efforts. This also would help to provide the extra staff and people needed to continue the college under the new requirements. In 1944, Gertrude passed away, and again, Ida wondered how she would go on. At this point, Gertrude had been with her in India for 28 years. And just as before, Ida decided that honoring her friend meant to continue the work, and so she did. Finally, though, in her older age, she knew it was time to retire. She could no longer keep up physically and knew that she needed to step aside and let the younger doctors and other administrators take over the major operations. She did, however, remain as an advisor for the hospital for another decade. Her heart was in India. She didn't want to go back to the U.S. to retire. And so she retired to her property at Hilltop. She continued to stay busy. Of course she did. If you haven't heard her story by now, you know that she did. <laughs> and she began expanding her gardens, and she even built a waterfall on the property. And she certainly was not lonely. People were always stopping by to talk with her. In August of 1947, India became an independent nation. And much to Ida's delight, the new Minister of Health was a woman. Even though she was retired, Ida did not stop practicing medicine. A doctor named Dr. Rambo dreamed of helping the scores of blind people in India and took Ida with him for what he called eye camps. They would set up shop and see all the people who came, determining the cause of their blindness. If it was due to cataracts, they would take them into surgery and give them a place to recover and be watched over as they healed. In just the very first eye camp, Ida was amazed that they were able to help 57 people restore their sight. Ida also met Dr. Paul Brand, who was a pioneering surgeon and was making great strides in the area of leprosy. Ida had always been frustrated by leprosy. It affected a million people in India, and there were no cures. Dr. Brand had also been born in India to missionary parents, so they had a lot in common. He was a young surgeon who had learned to perform surgeries on leprosy patients, restoring movements back into their hands. Ida was so glad she had lived long enough to see hope for the people who suffered from leprosy. In January 1950, Ida celebrated 50 years in India. Remember, she arrived on January 1st, 1900, and now it was 1950. The people of Valor celebrated and wanted to erect a bronze statue in her honor. She couldn't stand that idea, and instead she wanted them to do something of value, something for the hospital. 
So the people used the money to build a new road in front of the hospital, and they named it the Ida Scudder Road. On her 80th birthday, again the people celebrated. She was treated like royalty. The students made a high-backed chair for her to sit in, and many speeches were made. She had a six-layer birthday cake. Then, 22 of the staff children came before her dressed in their national costumes of all the countries and Indian provinces that had sent a gift for Ida. One by one, they gave her gold purses. In all, Ida was given the equivalent of $20,000, enough that she could be supported for the rest of her life. But if you figured out anything about Ida Scudder by now, I think what happens next will not surprise you. She realized that the men's part of the college needed a permanent dorm. They would need $160,000 to build it. So of course she donated her $20,000 to get it started. She also had $10,000 in savings and she gave them that too. At the age of 82, Ida underwent her first surgery to repair a hernia. Now she had operated on scores of other people, but she had never been operated on herself and she was fascinated. She set up a mirror so she could watch the whole thing. In her 80s, a video crew came to India to make a documentary about the medical advances in India. They first set up camp in Valor, and there was so much going on there, they never made it to any other places. They interviewed Ida, Paul Brand, and looked at the work going on in the eye camps. In her late 80s, Ida broke her hip, but she refused to be bedridden. So she exercised, and soon she was back to her gardening. But on May 24, 1960, Ida woke up feeling dizzy. And later that morning, she passed away. She was almost 90 years old. Her body was sent to Valor, and thousands of people lined the road from hilltop to Valor. At her funeral, an Indian man, the general superintendent of the hospital, gave her eulogy. He said through tears, Only those who can see the invisible can achieve the impossible. Dr. Ida Scudder has achieved the impossible through her close touch with the invisible God through her faith. Do you know that Valor Christian Medical Hospital and Clinic is still open and in operation today? It is so large, it operates like a small town. It has a staff of over 5,000 people. What an incredible legacy. Ida Scudder was an amazing woman, and what the Lord accomplished with her willing heart and hands is phenomenal. Ida worked tirelessly for God's kingdom, and she was persistent and enduring to see the tasks accomplished. What resonates with you from Ida's story? I would love to hear about it. Comment under today's show notes or join the conversation on PRN's Facebook page. The majority of today's podcast was written using the following resources. Christian Heroes Then and Now, Ida Scudder, Healing Bodies, Touching Hearts by Janet and Jeff Benj. And 50 Women Every Christian Should Know, Learning from Heroines of the Faith, by Michelle Darusha. Well, I want to say thank you, friends, for being with me through a hundred episodes. And that is all for today's podcast episode. I'm Jenny Detweiler with PRN. Pause, renew, next. May you be encouraged on your journey with Jesus.